That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, you are up there in the uh, technological wonderland, the Catskills, where not only do you have the world's fastest internet speed, you also, in the parsonage where you're staying, you have an answering machine, which I just heard pick up, and I was, I wondered if I was uh, 30 years in the past. Uh, there's, is there an actual machine with like a cassette tape in it? What do you have? What what technology is going on up there? What is what is it like up there? Uh, I don't know if it. Ha- it's not a cassette tape, but it is. Um, it is dated. I mean, you know, when you come up here, you really uh, go back to about 2006. And so it's a it's a break from life in a lot of ways, and so uh, you do really enter into the land of Rip Van Winkle. And so we are up here snoozing. It is still 2006, and um, and praise the Lord for that. So it reminds um, me of some of those early well, Seinfeld episodes where you know George has left a really angry message on an answering machine, and then has to try to sneak into the apartment to get the <laughs> tape. And uh, it's uh, I have when I watch these episodes with younger people, I have to explain to them all these outdated comment or uh, practices um so uh so you're living you're living the um living the dream the the lo-fi low-tech dream i love it um well speaking of low technology uh we're jumping into uh it's nice though because it is nice because it's hard to get a hold of me but i found you and praise the lord that i have because here we are talking about isaiah 1 talking about low tech uh back in the uh the Old Testament days. So we're recording now for the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. This is going to be for Sunday, August 11th. Uh, good preachers and listeners out there. So the readings we have for today are the beginning of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. We then jump to Hebrews 11, uh, and then Luke chapter 12 as we continue our march through the through the Gospel of Luke. So beginning here with Isaiah, we've just finished we kind of gone through some of the minor prophets. Isaiah is the is the big one. He's the Isaiah, Jeremiah. Those are sort of like the the, the big daddy prophets of the Old Testament. Here we got starting with Isaiah, um, and we're opening up here. And Isaiah kind of begins with this uh, just broadside against the kings of Judah and uh, and the people of Judah. Uh, again, the southern kingdom of um, of, Isra- of Israel here, and. Uh, he is. He begins just with a nice, cheery uh, introduction, calling them, even though they are kings of Judah, he calls them the rulers of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. And they would have just, they would have loved that, right, Jake? Mm. Yes, that's definitely a Hallmark card greeting. Um, so uh, rulers <laughs> of Sodom and rulers of Gomorrah. But Isaiah, a lot of people, I mean, this is the major prophet, and a lot of people talk about the gospel according to Isaiah, because you can find good news as well as bad news, just uh, uh, just throughout this prophet. But um, the thing that's uh, being kind of set up here is, um, first of all, you have to understand the context. 
Um, first is um, the first 39 chapters are um, basically Assyria is knock, knock, knocking on uh, Judah's door. And uh, things are looking terrifying and are looking bleak. Uh, but Assyria is not their problem. Ultimately, Babylon will be. Um, but um, uh, the question that's being asked here is uh, by the people of Israel, uh, by the people of Judah, is this. Is God faithful to us? And this is a question that has been um, asked throughout Judaica for the centuries. Where is God when uh, the spit hits the shan? And, um, and uh, you know, what is going on here? And uh, the point that the prophet Isaiah is making is, is that God has been faithful to you. The problem is, is that you have not been faithful to God. And uh, God is a just God. And, uh, and so there is, so Isaiah takes on kind of when you read it, read it almost like you're reading like a courtroom document. There is the defendant, there is the plaintiff, and there is the judge. And, um, and Judah is being going to be placed on trial. Now, what happens is, is that when we begin to realize that we're, we've been the faithless ones, our immediate response is, is to try harder and do better. And uh, this is what um, uh, Isaiah is critiquing about Judah right at the beginning. You know, your new moon festivals, they like appall me. Your uh, calling of convocations, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. And why? Because it is uh, the fruit from a really, really bad root. And this is what Isaiah is going to get out. Your root is bad. Yeah, so you bring a good point about this seeing as like a courtroom proceedings. Uh, we use the term prophet, and when we talk about the prophets of the Bible, people think prophecy is predicting the future. Uh, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl, or what are the S&P 500 going to do? And um, But prophecy in the Old Testament is essentially the prophets reminding the people of Israel of what God's law is and then pointing out to them that they fall short of that and saying, you know, you got to close the gap. And if you don't close the gap, uh, exile is coming. Um, foreign powers are going to take this land back from you. Uh, and uh, so to the extent that there is a prophecy of Assyria or Babylon uh, uh, taking over and and militarily conquering these people. Yeah, that is sort of a future prediction, but it's not like I see in my crystal ball this is going to happen. It's saying that because you have been unfaithful to God's law, this is this is what's going to happen. And I think the issue here for the the people that Isaiah is speaking to at the beginning is they think they are being faithful because they are doing all the religious stuff. Uh we've got incense, we've got convocations, we have festivals uh, and sacrifices. I mean, the blood of bulls is running freely. And God just says, I hate it. And it's just, it's incredible um, because we think God is, I know so many people who come to church and they're worried about, um, you know, they got to stand at the right time and say their responses at the right time. And when they come forward for communion, they're worried about, do I kneel it? Have I kneeled correctly? Have I put my hands out correctly? You know, people get anxious when they're in church because they think God really cares about us doing church perfectly. And it's so funny in Isaiah, he says, no, I don't care about you doing church perfectly. Um, what I really care about is how you're treating people, uh, especially the poor and the orphan and those that are uh, marginalized. And so 
Uh, it's kind of a, it, this is very much like the kind of things Jesus would say much later to the Pharisees who are really good at observing the letter of the law, but missing the spirit of it. Um, they, and what St. Paul would say about, uh, in, in first Corinthians 13, if you do all the fancy religious stuff and speak in tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, uh, it's a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. So it's just, it's sort of, God is always about keeping it real, um, and he can see through BS pretty quickly, uh, and and that's what is going on here. So this is so this is a major preaching of kind of a word of law, um, and yet there is the gospel in here because in verse eighteen, God says, uh, "Your sins are like scarlet, but they shall be like snow. They are red like crimson; they shall become like wool." So God is going to even as He's raising the bar, saying, "Don't just do your religious sacrifices. Uh, really care about justice and mercy." Um, uh, you're going to need somebody. You're going to. You're. You won't be able to do that either. So you're going to need somebody to save you. Yeah. When you when you read the the prophet Isaiah, uh, read it almost like a subpoena. Um, that's what's going on here, uh, a subpoena. And you really have to understand the Mosaic Covenant. Um, and the Mosaic Covenant is found back. Uh, the establishment of that is back in. Um, uh, Exodus chapter 24, and uh, there, verses 24 through 3 through 8, there is this old we shall do, and Moses covers the blood on them. And so uh, this is what's happening, but this has never superseded um, the Noahic covenant or even the Abrahamic covenant, as St. Paul points out in Romans, that a person has been justified by faith. And so uh, this is the thing, um, is that we have a God, when judgment comes, uh, it is he's not being capricious here. He's not just like, oh, I'm so angry with you, Judah. It's like, no, um, th that's how the pagan gods operated. They never spoke to their people. They were capricious. You didn't know why or um, how or when judgment was coming. But God is appealing to a covenant, a promise. However, the good news of the gospel is, is that there's another covenant coming, a new covenant in which there will be a redeemer. And there's been types of shadows of that in the Davidic covenant. And, um, and they'll also receive it um, from the prophets as well, um, who will, a mediator who will give us a new heart. And this is how the good news takes effect. He says, come, now let us argue it out, says the Lord. Uh, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this isn't capricious. This is um, this is set and placed in a covenant context. And um, but there is one who's come, and he is the mediator. And though we be disobedient, he's obedient and faithful. And because of him, the gospel says that we still eat the good of the land. Yeah. So I think it's important to point out because a lot of people will preach this passage because it's so it sounds so good to modern ears that uh, especially in the mainline churches, but in lots of churches, and rightfully so, there's a desire to see justice and. Uh, um, where there is injustice, to see rescue for the oppressed, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so people look at verse 17 and say, yes, Lord, we will do it. Um, but I think just like the people of Judah were doing the sacrifices and the religious ceremonies and feeling really good about them, so too today can we sort of in a superficial way address justice or oppression and then feel really good about ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. And I think even the most justice-oriented person out there is still participating in systems that 
oppress and cause problems. If you are someone who uses a cell phone, you are buying minerals and elements that power that thing that come from uh, places where bad things have to happen for you to get the stuff that's inside your cell phone and the the, the working conditions in the factories where your cell phone was made. Um, you could point out lots of different ways we participate in systems of injustice and oppression. So just because you have written a check to Amnesty International and you've helped out at the soup kitchen doesn't mean you can check this off the check this box off the list. Um, Israel has failed in its sacrifices. Israel, even if it were to try to do justice and rescue the oppressed, which again, good things we should do. We should do those things, and hopefully, the church is working on those fronts. And I know many good people who are doing that work. But you don't get to just sort of give yourself a pass and say, "I've done my duty." Again, as you point out, rightfully, Jake. Ultimately, this passage should make us feel like the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus ends with, "Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect." We can never do enough. We can never be enough. We can never achieve perfection. And so ultimately, as you said, we need someone else who will do this for us. And I think about how when Jesus comes and he begins his ministry, he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and reads, so not from this passage, but from one that's very similar to it. And he talk, He says he is the one that is here to rescue the oppressed. He is the one that's here to uh, you know, bring... Um, sight to the blind and and release to the captive and and all of that so this ultimately uh points us to christ um don't just be simplistic and say okay people let's do justice and let's march or let's protest or let's write letters again those are good things as far as they go but that doesn't take this passage i think to where it needs to go which is to realizing um we cannot do this uh and we need uh someone else to do it for us that's right. And so what then will justify us? And that is, um, uh, and that is answered for us in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 16. And the first thing that uh, this reminds us of, and we've said it before on this program, is that the story of the Old Testament is now uh, also the Christian story. Uh, we have been grafted into that, and uh, this is one of the things that the author of the Hebrews, book of Hebrews is reminding people, is that Israel was never justified by um, their ceremonies or their works of the law, but rather they were um, uh, justified um, by faith. And uh, this become, I mean, this is a heavy-duty faith alone passage. And the key thing to remember here is that it is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This is this is this is the thing. It hasn't come yet. Um, it is hoped for, and indeed. Um, by faith, our ancestors received approval. Now, um, faith is is only as strong as the object that it is in. Uh, whenever you see the word faith in the New Testament, just basically replace it with whatever's going to get you through the night. And so, um, you know, now Jesus is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, indeed, by Jesus, our ancestors received approval. And remember, as the author of Hebrews is going to say, Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth. So uh, faith in Jesus was never, ever, uh, um, was never, ever plan B. It was always plan A right from the beginning. And so, but we see this thing that um, faith 
By faith, Abraham obeyed and was called out of that place to receive as an inheritance. Um, the passages that are missing, verses 4 through 7, are about Enoch and Noah and their uh, righteousness given to them by faith, believing that God was actually going to fulfill these promises. And so, but um, it is by faith when God says something, even though we can't see it, um, that he's going to do it is a very, very um, powerful thing. And that's what justifies us. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the thing to, we're, so we, we are in the book of Hebrews now uh, with the lectionary, and we will continue to be in this section of chapters 11 and 12 until, kind of through um, Labor Day, and it's, it's not until uh, mid-September that we kind of switch to a different text, but as we walk through this, it's important to remember that the, one of the questions that the book of Hebrews is trying to answer is, um, how do we make sense of all the stuff that God commanded us to do in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, in light of Jesus? Um, and it, the book really wants to talk about who is Jesus and how he fits into this whole sort of system. And But here, you know, there's always this desire to say, like, well, the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. And, uh, and um, you know, uh, there, there was this salvation by works, and now there's salvation by grace. And what Hebrews, the author here, wants to sh show us is um, that it's always been by faith from the beginning. And so he's talking here about Abraham and, and our ancestors in the faith. It's always been looking ahead to the one who will do this work for us, um, not to ourselves. And, and so you get these examples of impossible situations. Um, the power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah was barren. So, uh, and this is the kind of thing, when we believe in God for our righteousness and not in ourselves, that's an impossible thing in a sense, um, to believe that we will be counted 100% righteous and holy, even though we know what we did last summer. Uh, it's, it's incredible. It's impossible. But this is, this is what God does, takes, takes dead things and makes them alive, which is what he did with Abraham and Sarah. It's what he's done from the beginning. It's what he does for us now. And it's this incredible word of grace. We, you know, as you said, the object of our faith is important. And this God that we trust to make us righteous and holy is the same God who took a 99-year-old guy and his equally old and also barren wife and made them ha have a kid. And if he can have them have a baby, um, he can certainly make you holy and righteous um, because of what he's done for you in Christ. Yeah, and you know, and if you read the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis, you begin to see that, I mean, Abraham was a scoundrel on a profound level, you know? I mean, uh, you know, he, uh, he, is, he doubts, he uh, trades is what he tells uh, not once but twice uh, um, two kings that uh, Sarah is his wife or his sister trying to save his neck, you know what I mean? But it was this faith in something yep. greater. Um, that had really defined them. It was God defining them and that faith, you know, that they were being prepared for something greater, um, that God is not ashamed to be called their God. Um, and uh, indeed, he has prepared a city for them. And that promises to you as well. Uh, no, you know, no matter where you're at, uh, God is not ashamed of you. And he's not ashamed to be called your God because of Jesus. And uh, he's prepared a city for you as well. Um, and uh, that really, that word, that faith allows us to rest and uh, becomes the lens by which we understand Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. Yeah, and it's important, I think, to... Rem to as, so this is another passage that um, can be heard as law. And um, 
and that certainly is there, and it can be heard, however, solely as law. But I think it's important as we read this passage to keep in mind verse 32, the heart of God is that we would not be afraid, and it is God's will, and he takes great pleasure, and it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And as, as Jesus says elsewhere in Luke, the kingdom of God is here. It's it's with us. It's around us. It's right here. So it's sort of like the passage is not do this so that God will love you. It's God loves you, and now let me show you what that looks like. If you know that God has given you the kingdom, you are no longer going to be you know, clawing onto your possessions, but instead you'll be happily giving them away because you realize how fleeting they are. As we said last week, uh, Jesus in Luke said, um, uh, a man's uh, worth is not in the abundance of his uh, possessions. So this is sort of kind of just building on that idea. Um, if we know God loves us, if we know we can rest in him, if we know we have a heavenly country, as the book of Hebrews says in verse 16 of chapter 11, um, then we can give stuff away. We're not attached to this world and this life um, in a kind of anxious, grasping uh, way, which is what many people, how they live. Yeah, I think that is a that is a brilliant point. And you know, the truth is, is that anxiety, Thanks, anxiety is um, a life lived without faith. You know, uh, I know I'm an ex- incredibly anxious person. I really ought to be medicated. Um, and um, but but the point is is that my anxiety is a result by when I go by the things that I see. You know, um, mm-hmm. Abraham, you read the story of Abraham. He was an anxious person. You remember that that moment when he's like, can't you uh, just, my son come, can't I just make my uh, servant Eliezer, like can't the promise come through him? Can it come through Ishmael? You know, um, if I go by what I see, you know, I just, I, I want to take things into my own control. And the more I take things into my own control, the more anxious I get and the more crazy I get. And, um, uh, and uh, the truth is, is that faith um, becomes the balm by which I can calm my fears. Because faith says that um, at the end of this life, which I cannot see, I think I see it, and it looks like a total disaster. There is a God who has prepared a city for me. There's a God who's not ashamed for me. And this is the good news of the gospel that you need to deliver to your congregation. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he's giving your people the kingdom through this gospel word that you preach. He's giving your people the kingdom through the water that's been poured over their head in baptism. He's giving your people the kingdom in bread and wine, which is his body and blood broken for them. And this becomes the good news. They're given it. And so now, you know, they don't need to be the folks that are... um, you know, running around and trying to protect everything from the thieves breaking in. Because whether the thieves break in or not, uh, with the kingdom given to you already, you are prepared to stand and rejoice when the Son of Man comes at that unexpected hour. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, fire and brimstone and Folgers. So this uh, this passage um, can be heard as a kind of uh, fear-instilling... Um, fire and brimstone sort of passage. Be dressed for action, have your lamps lit, because Jesus is coming. Uh, and there's there's a repeated refrain here of be ready. Be ready for when, and be alert for when your master comes. And this is this is looking towards, um, you know, when Jesus comes. Uh, it's, it's looking towards Judgment Day. And we've been trained to hear this through a lens of fear, 
and I think it's important to to not do that. So, um, be, and for a couple of reasons. One, the passage begins by saying, "Do not be afraid. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Um, and uh, then when he says, "Yeah, be dressed, ready for action. Have your lamps lit," but it's not because the master's going to come home and be like what the heck is going on? You guys are the worst. Like, you know, your daddy's home and now you're going to get it. Like, look what happens. Who? It's just really important to look at what's going on in verse 36. The first thing to note is that the master who comes is returning from a wedding banquet. And uh, in verse 38, we learn that it might be in the middle of the night or near dawn. So this is a guy who likes to party. This master has been at the reception, the wedding reception, and he did not leave early to get a good night's rest. He has stayed to the very end, the last time that the electric slide is done. He stayed for the whole conga line. He was probably leading the conga line. The chicken line. dance. He's just had a... Yeah. The chicken dance. He's had a good time. This is who our master is. He's not returning from like a deposition or an all-night prayer meeting. He's coming from a wedding that banquet. That is beautiful. So this is who our master is who's coming home. Uh, the second thing to know is that when he comes home, you want to open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks, not because you're worried about him being mad at you, but when he comes in, look at what Jesus says this master is going to do. He is going to fasten his belt, so he's going to like roll up his sleeves and put on his apron, basically, have the servants sit down to eat, and he will serve them. So this is a crazy gospel sort of oh, master so who's good. not there to be served, but he's there to serve. He's not there to be like, let me check. He's not like... Captain Von Trapp, who comes home to inspect the level of dust on the mantle and have the children line up for inspection. Um, this is a father who comes home or a master who comes home and wants to, you know, this is prodigal son stuff. Let's kill the fatted calf and have a party. He is the one, he's the one that wants to serve them. So this is why we're excited and ready and waiting. So just back to Folgers, there was a, you know, that old commercial they play every year at Christmas, I think for the last 35 years. Mm. And it's that young girl who her older brother, Peter comes home for Christmas and he Peter's opens the door home. and she's like, Peter, you're home. And then the mom and dad come down and it's this, again, because <laughs> he wakes everybody up by making a cup of Folgers and the whole family's like super excited. Like that's the, we're so glad that this person has come yeah. home. We're not terrified that they've come home. This isn't your dad coming home angry from work or whatever. This is, you're excited because he's a master who loves to party He and he wants to serve you. This is, you know, he's brought gifts. This is like, we want to be there alert and ready and waiting because he's bringing gifts in the bag. The sack is going to be full of good stuff. And so this is why we're ready. And, you know, Jesus uses this proverb kind of at the end in verse 39. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Sort of, that's a... It's, that has the ring of an expression, a common expression of the day, that he's just saying, you know, it, it's an unexpected hour, uh, and it's, um, so just be ready, and don't, and not be ready because judgment and fear, but be ready yeah. because joy and grace and gospel is coming to your house, because remember, right at the beginning of the passage, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, mm. not grudgingly. The best part angry. of wake. The best part of waking up is the kingdom in your cup. That's right. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we all know that Folgers is not actually the best stuff out there. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, well, with the flavor crystals, it is. <laughs> so it locks in the freshness. So, but um, but I'll take the kingdom any day over flavor crystals. So, um, Praise God. well, this, uh, this sounds like a great place to end it. Aaron, that is a great place 
thing to preach. And uh, I hope everybody uh, delivers the goods this Sunday using uh, that illustration. Remember, we have a God who is coming home from a wedding banquet and uh, is going to set the table uh, for slaves whom he has made now his children. And um, uh, give away those goods, for he's coming and he's prepared a place for you. That's right. Well, uh, I think that'll wrap us up. And remember, as Medea said, hallelujah, uh, and praise the Lord. (laughs) Thanks, Jake. Amen. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.